It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grimly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello, welcome to episode number 330 of Locked On Raptors for Tuesday, May 8th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of LockedOnRaptors.com, RaptorsHQ.com as well. You can find me on Twitter at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors, where you can find links to every single episode. Of course, make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network as well. Team focused shows for all 30 NBA teams. You got Locked On Fantasy with Josh Lloyd. You got Locked On NBA with David Locke. Uh, and also a bunch of different hosts from across the network host daily episodes of Locked On NBA as well. So make sure you're checking those out. And you can find those all together, of course, on the Locked On NBA iTunes channel. And if you find a show or a host that you dig, find it separately on iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. And, you know, subscribe, rate, review to that show as well separately. Uh, it's very helpful to the hosts, and it's very helpful to me if you do that to Lockdown Raptors. If you leave a rating or a review, it's the easiest way to support the show. It takes no time at all. It takes no money. And considering this is just like 330 episodes worth of free-ass content, you could just leave a rating or review. It takes five seconds, please. Uh, and I very much appreciate it if you take the time. All right. On today's show, it's a bit of a funeral. It's going to be sad. We'll be in our feelings, I'm sure. 
And to break down the Raptors' season-ending loss, uh, what was the final score? 500 million to 35 points less than 500 million. Uh, the yeah, the Cavs beat the Raptors in Game Four. To break it down. I'm joined by Vivek Jacob. How's it going? Pretty good, Sean. How are you? Yeah, been better. Been worse. It's all good. And also joined by Sahal Abdi. How's it going, man? I'm all right, man. Kind of hurt. Yeah. I'm doing okay though. That's uh yeah that that's not that's not an unreasonable take to have on what your mood is. It's yeah. it's a tough day, man. It's always tough this first day after the Raptors lose, and especially, I mean, once like more basketball happens, people's takes will be directed elsewhere because people have the attention span of goldfish when it comes to this stuff. But um, like this is the day where everyone's trying to pick apart the Raptors and trade everybody and pulling up the trade machine like idiots. Uh, good God, the trade machine needs to go away. Um, and it's just, it's a tough day because you have to face a lot of questions about the team and, you know, there's, the Raptors definitely, you know, rightfully are being questioned today because a lot of stuff came up in this series that, you know, makes you question sort of the upside of the team or whatever, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's tough time. I don't know. I don't really know how to really process last night's game. I kind of expected the result going in. Maybe didn't expect to be you know, that much of a blowout, but at the same time, like I understand the Raptors not really wanting to go all out for a game that they were in for most of the first half. Bad run at the end of this uh, end of the first sort of you know put any way put any chance of them winning away, and I don't really totally fault them for being kind of listless in the second half. You know, but maybe that's just me, and I'm okay with not caring about stuff <laughs> that might just speak to my character. Um, but Vivek, let's start with you. What? Where to go wrong? Not just in last night's game, but we can talk about last night's game in addition to you know the entire series. Like, what was the reason the Raptors fell so short in a series that they were favored in coming in? I think the biggest thing that stands out for me is the defense. And over the past three years that the Raptors have faced the Cavs, I feel like we've just seen a rerun of the same type of defensive strategy, yeah. and that's what I'm most frustrated with and you know i thought jr smith and tristan thompson's quotes after the game were telling where they were asked about what the difference was between the indiana series and this series and they both kind of said hey you know with indiana we didn't really know what to expect Mm -hmm. and they didn't really give us much uh in terms of role players having space he said, you know, going into this series, we've faced the Raptors before. We know uh, they give uh, our role guys, you know, chances to shoot, open shots, and we just happen to make them. And I feel like with Casey, with, with the overall strategy, it was almost, you know, we're going to try and defend LeBron, but we're also going to uh, try and stick with the shooters, but then we're going to collapse. And it was just way too many things and I think you got to start with the basics with a team like Cleveland who's so lethal offensively it's like you know let's just do one or two things right and then build from there you know Mm. and I think the Raptors just tried to do too many things and it just ended up being nothing and that's what we saw over the course of the series that's what we've seen over the past three seasons especially last year with the sweep and here we are um, pretty much after all the good work during the regular season, pretty much where we were at the end of last season. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, it really sucks that this is kind of going to cast the ball over the course of the entire season because there was a lot of growth shown this season, and it is a bummer that sort of the one bugaboo was has been the defense against the Cavs, and like, in fairness, playing defense against the Cavs is hard, and. 
you know, I was looking at Mike Zavigno from uh, from uh, Fear of the Sword. He was on the podcast this past week. Uh, he tweeted out today the numbers on wide open and open threes given up. And, you know, the Raptors, they gave up more wide open threes than the Pacers did, but they gave up way less open threes. And it was about the same number of wide or wide, o- wide open or open threes per game that the Raptors gave up. I mean, maybe the quality of the looks or whatever was better for the Cavs, but the Cavs also just got, like, crazy hot. And I, I don't know how much there is you can do to sort of, you know, go against... J.R. Smith shooting 77% from three. Like, that's something that's just so unsustainably hot that you you, you just kind of got to live with it, and it becomes a thing where if he doesn't hit, if he hits five less threes in that series, maybe the Raptors win two of those games, right? It's it's all these little margins, and that, it, obviously the margins matter, and the Raptors didn't, get, do, didn't, go, didn't do a good enough job sort of cutting down on those margins and succeeding in those, you know, little areas where they can gain an edge. And I, I do think the defense was definitely kind of prone, and we saw it all season. It was not the best against top-level offenses. There was some noise in that, of course. You know, there was you know back-to-backs and whatnot, and some difficult sort of scheduling things that kind of muddy the sample. But the the fact remains that you know, and Mike made a really good point on this podcast on Saturday that like against super athletic dudes like LeBron. Or, like just being able to be conservative and hang back doesn't exactly work and you know there are certain things within the Raptors defense their conservative approach which is kind of built around the talents of the guys they have on hand that is going to be you know open to you know exploitation by the best players in the league and you know maybe that's on Casey for not you know finding a new scheme maybe it's on Masai Ujiri for not you know building a roster that's more switch happy maybe it's just on time for not being accelerated enough for some of these guys to be more developed defensively and um and physically and stuff like that you know there are lots of things that go into it so Hall what is your overarching like takeaway from this season now is it going to take time for you to really sort of look upon the entire thing or are you just kind of looking at this as a failure considering what happened in the second round you know, Sean, I think the biggest thing for this team is uh, I kind of think it's such a demoralizing loss for the organization, for the players, and for the fans. Just because um, when I look at it, it's kind of like three main factors. I look at it like Dwayne Casey, when he first came to the Raptors, uh, you could argue that he the reason he got this job, uh, ironically, was stopping LeBron yeah. as an assistant on the Dallas Mavericks. Um, he gets the job. Uh, a little bit down the road, uh, we improve, we improve, we improve. Face LeBron, 2016. We face him 2017, we face him 2018. The second factor is, uh, going into this series, we've already played LeBron twice. You would have thought that, okay, um, this team's not as good as it was before. This is, the, this is arguably the same LeBron as before. Um, he may be a little, t- a little more tired this time. Pacers took him to seven. Uh, okay, maybe we stand uh, probably a better chance. And the third thing is that this is probably the best Raptors team we've ever seen yeah. in the franchise's history. So uh, I think when you put those three things together, um, having probably the best bench in the NBA, DeRozan taking his game to another level again, um, Lowry learning new things about himself in this new system, uh, all these young guys playing so well leading up to the series, um, I think it's just tough. It's it's tough to accept um, such a bad series performance, I think, from the Raptors. And like Vivek said, it comes down to defense. It also comes down to DeMar DeRozan, yeah. um, guys that, that the Raptors rely on so heavily, like DeMar DeRozan. I think Lowry had a 
really good series. I think I'm not sure why I see I saw uh, after the series loss, I saw so many people pointing the finger at Lowry. I think he played pretty well that series. He was uh, he shot like sixty percent. He was incredible. Yeah, he, he played really well that series. I think um, what it came down to, like Greg said, was the, was the defense. Um, also, the bench play was just not up to par. Um, you heard Fred VanVleet say it today um, in the season-ending presser. Uh, we were shredding teams all season long. When it came down to the biggest moment, we couldn't get it done. Mm. Um, I think it, it's, it's a hard loss to ex, uh, to accept, um, but it is what it is. They they ran into arguably the best player the NBA's ever seen, and like you said, uh, Sean, guys like J.R. Smith and Kyle Korver just simply weren't missing shots. Uh, some of it came down to the Raptors leaving them open, and some of them was just. It is what it is. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's just J.R. Smith. You know, he's probably one of the streakiest guys I think of all time. <laughs> so, um, so if you don't not... mind, there's a couple of things I'd like to touch on uh, yeah. that Sahal kind of touched on. Um, so there's the quote from Lowry that actually bothered me quite a bit, where he said that you know we took too long uh, to be physical with them, mm-hmm. and for me. This is your third time going up against this team. Yeah. You're the number one seed. How do you not know that you've got to be bringing the intensity? You've got to be setting a tone in terms of being physical on the defensive end. Like, there's no excuse to realize after two games or whatever it was that they finally realized it, that, oh, we got to be physical with their role players and shooters and not give them room to breathe or, you know, sort of get them hard on the tags when they're running off picks or whatever it is. And so that bothered me. And then with the bench, uh, in terms of their struggles, I kind of feel for them just because uh, most of the season you saw LeBron uh, would pretty much play the entire first quarter and then sit uh, for long stretches to start the second. And so they realized how much of a strength uh, the bench has been for Toronto. And so LeBron was sitting towards the end of the first now and starting the second against uh, the bench mob and what that did was the bench mob loves to create havoc and get out in transition and that's usually how they generate offense and create energy for themselves the team the team the crowd and LeBron just didn't turn the ball over mm-hmm. and yeah. so it completely nullified the bench no matter what moves you made last year turbo tax experts make them count did you say no to a big wedding and elope at the county courthouse? That's a move. Did you go back to school to get your degree? That's a move. Did you relocate for a fresh start? Well, that's literally a move. Maybe you moved into a houseboat instead of a house house or switched gears from rideshare driving to video game streaming. Or you rode the stock market to the moon and back. TurboTax experts make all your moves count getting you every credit and deduction you deserve. They'll file with 100% accuracy and get you your max refund guaranteed. So, switch to TurboTax. Make your moves. They'll make them count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. Yeah, it's not like their half-court offense has ever been all that dynamic. It's always been more of a yeah. run-and-gun type thing, and they've held up on defense for the most part, and it's a lot harder to hold up on defense when LeBron James is picking you apart, and like you said, the physicality is not exactly there. And, you know, again, like, I, I don't really know who to point the finger at. Like, I think there's a lot of different things that could be, you know, pointed to as the reason why right. 
everything kind of fell short here. Like, I think Casey definitely bears some burden, right? Like, he did not seem to craft a, a defensive strategy that was conducive to stopping LeBron. At the same time, I don't know if the personnel was all that conducive to a switching scheme where it could work and you're not getting just pounded on mismatches all the time. You know, there was it was not it's not the best shooting team right now and, and I, like I think it's going to get better. I think guys are going to develop. I think Siakam eventually will shoot threes um, and I think like OG will be more of a, a reliable sort of high volume shooter at some point, but at this point like you kind of have to have CJ Miles out there and even Serge Ibaka out there if you want to try to keep up with the Cavs offensively and those guys just were ripe to be beaten up on mismatches and that's just the whole game against LeBron is mismatches and he if you if they're if they're all over the court you're just going to get killed and DeRozan definitely bears some burden here as well I, you know I feel so like just garbagey just like talking negatively about DeRozan's season because like the dude came from being like this Jamario Moon ass player into being a, a perennial all-star and like He's done everything to sort of self-improve and get better and add to his game, be a better playmaker this season, fit his style of play more into the offense. Although I think Kyle probably did a better job of that this season. DeMar still definitely did it, and it still wasn't enough. And I feel for Kyle and DeMar on that level. Like, a lot of it, like, a lot of teams are just not going to have enough of a formula to beat the Cavs or, or LeBron. And... That's just kind of the reality of the LeBron era. So, like, LeBron has, like, burden to bear here. I, again, like, I think the fact that maybe that just this season was so accelerated in terms of how good the young guys got so fast, we underestimate experience in these situations. Especially, you know, Kyle said, like, we didn't learn that we had to stop LeBron. Like, that, be physical or whatever defensively. Like, I kind of get it because half the roster didn't play in the playoffs last year and is kind of new to this, right? And it's just... You know, there's a learning curve there for guys like Siakam and OG and Pirtle in particular, which is brutal in this series. And even Van Vliet, like, these guys aren't, like, 10-year veterans. They're they're very new to the league still, and they're still kind of testing the waters, and they're still coming across things they haven't seen before. And LeBron in a playoff series is absolutely something that if it's the first time you're seeing it, you might be in awe. You might be sort of just, you know, dumbfounded at what you're supposed to do to stop it. So, unless and, you're OG. Unless you're OG. I mean, OG's got the largest nuts in the world, but... Like, it's just, I think there's a lot of different factors here that when, you know, going into the series, you might not have realized them. We might have looked at just the season-long data and said, all right, yeah, this this should be, like, the Raptors have a good chance of winning this series, and maybe the Vegas odds makers are right to have them favored. But then when you sort of look at all these little details, and, like, the details are where LeBron James kind of makes up his margin, you know, I kind of understand, like, the result. And it's so weird how this all kind of hinges on one game, right? Because... You know, after Game 3, I think most people were feeling okay about how the Raptors had played in this series. Like, Game 2, the second half was a disaster. But Game 1, like, it was close. They got some horrible luck late. Just shots that normally would fall didn't fall. You can call it mental block or whatever you want. I think it was mostly just, like, stupid, weird bad luck. Um, Missing four tip-ins is, I think, you can only call that bad luck. And then Game 3, like, they played their hearts out in the second half. I thought Dwayne Casey pulled all the right knobs in that half and got got the right guys out there, and it worked. And then, you know, to get just obliterated in Game 4, I feel like that almost washed away anything. Like, Sahal, had the Raptors been close in yesterday's game, made it a close game, maybe it's a one or two possession game they lose, like, does your opinion of this series change at all? Because, like, I still think you can argue that this was 
you know, a better effort, and there was more... I mean, the wins don't... Like, it was a 4 nothing series, so people will just look at it and say it's the same, but, like, I think if you're looking at each game, like, it was definitely a closer series. The Raptors looked more like they belonged for larger parts of this series than they ever have, even in the six-game Eastern Conference Finals, I would argue. Um, but, like, I don't know, how does your opinion sort of hinge on that Game 4, uh, like, debacle, or does, it, or does it affect it at all? I think, like you said, uh, Leaving uh, once Game Three ended, I think a lot of Raptors fans were still pretty optimistic um, in terms of how their team performed. Like you said, Game One was just like I don't know how a team misses four tip-ins. Almost all of them were like just rolling on the rim. Yeah. So uh, I, that's that was Game One. Okay, take the first game loss. You move on to the second one. Um, but I think the entire series was just a series based on runs, and I think you just as a team you just need the mental fortitude to kind of break that and I think in game three they came very close the OG had an OB3 in the lead up to all of that but I think um, LeBron and, and you know like just the greatness that that he is or that emanates from him I guess you could say hmm. I think that's what just put them put the Cavaliers over the hump um, game two was again second half destruction and then game four it just looked like okay we're just going to come out, try our best. If it doesn't work out this time in the first half, we're just going to give it up. And that's what happened. And um, I think the, the, the series, honestly, when you diagnose each game by each on a game-by-game basis, I think it was pretty close. Raptors obviously still, didn't get, still did get swept, so it is what it is. But um, I think if you diagnose each game, I think you'll find out that the Raptors didn't. It wasn't necessarily a complete beatdown on a full-scale level. Vivek? Yeah, for me, in terms of the series, I think games two and game four are frustrating because you hear Casey say things like the team being emotionally drunk. Yeah. And that's frustrating because this is the number one seed. There should be some sense of, okay, that game's done with. We're just going to bounce back. And uh, game two is a whole new game. Game four is a whole new game. Um, so... You know, whether that's LeBron being in their heads, whether it's the Cavs being in their heads, where they just feel like no matter what they do, um, it just everything just ends up going the Cavs' way. Um, whether it's getting frustrated with officials and letting calls get to them. Um, these are all things that you want to see an elite team be able to sort of brush off their shoulder and just get on with it, right? Um, and these are things that have bothered them in the seasons past. And... I guess this is all part of that culture reset in terms of eradicating those bad habits. And so for all the good that they've done, I think just as they were honest with themselves in the offseason last year, I think they do have to do the same thing again now mm-hmm. and say, you know, what do we have to do to address these real concerns? Because at the end of the day, I think now, um, Masai said it last offseason, you know, this team, this franchise isn't measuring itself on just regular season success anymore. It's about uh, getting past the first round, getting past the second round, and you know, winning a championship. Kyle Lowry said, you know, it's championship or bust now. So if that's the level that they're striving for, those are the questions they have to ask them. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, they can say championship or bust. It's not particularly realistic, I don't think. And as a fan, like, I, I've never been a championship robust guy with this team. Like, I've always kind of understood there's a ceiling that comes inherently when Kyle and DeMar are your two best players and you're in a conference that LeBron James is in. And again, I think a lot of this still 
goes back. Like you can talk about the Raptors being like soft or not having the fortitude or whatever word you want to throw out there. Like I still think a lot of this comes back to LeBron just being LeBron and like this is just what he does to teams in the Eastern Conference and the Raptors get more of a... It's kind of weird that the Raptors get more of a shit end of the stick when we talk about LeBron and his Eastern Conference dominance because they've been good enough to be there to play him in the second or third round three years in a row where no one else has. No one's else. No one else has sniffed that. And, like, it's going to come for those teams too. Like, the Sixers and Celtics. Like, they're going to get their hearts broken by LeBron at some point too. And, like, it's coming for everybody. And it happened to the Pacers. It happened to the Hawks. It happened to the Bulls. Like, this is just what happens. It happened to the Wizards and the Ots when, like, in the first edition of these Cavs teams. Like, this is just LeBron's, this is going to be his lasting legacy, is crushing the spirits of half of the cities in the Eastern Conference. And I I don't know, it's so hard to sort of grade yourself and grade anything next to just, like, it's like when you're, if you're in a class and, like, you're in biology class and there's a student who gets 100% on everything and they're incredible... Like, your parents would be kind of unfair to you to be like, all right, you have to get 100%, otherwise, like, we're moving you to a different school so you can learn better. I don't know. This is a terrible analogy. But it's, just, it's, it's really hard to grade yourself against transcendent greatness. And I don't think it diminishes what the Raptors have done over these last few years, that they haven't been able to beat LeBron. Like, yes, it's discouraging that they've gotten swept the last two years and lost 10 in a row, lost, whatever, 12 of 14 games against them, but... Like I, I still think there's there's a lot to really be happy about with this Raptors team, but I don't know. I guess the results people are are more concerned about the results than and the more about playoff results than regular season results, and I guess that's fair. I think that's dumb, but you know it is what it is. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Dwayne Casey. Today, uh, Josh Lewinberg reported that the Raptors are leaning towards a coaching change. Moving away from Dwayne Casey, Nick Nurse is mentioned out there, uh, although Ryan Wolstadt suggested that maybe they were looking for, or was it him or Michael Grange, that they were maybe looking for someone with more experience as a head coach to come in to take over for a 59-win team. Uh, Sahal, let's go to you. Where are you at in the whole Dwayne Casey moving on from him thing? You know, um, this is just a day later, so I feel like my, um, my opinion on this is going to change. Um, eventually it's probably going to go back and forth. Um, but I think this is going to sound like a cop-out answer, but I think there's really no wrong answer, um, in terms of whether Dwayne Casey gets replaced or not. I'm, I'm completely okay, um, with bringing him back and running it back again. Um, seeing what you can do maybe with, um, a bench that still hasn't reached its full potential, 
Um, you probably have Lowry, who is probably on his last um, year where you can really get something good out of him. DeRozan's probably going to have a similar year to last year, um, obviously barring health. Um, I'm okay with bringing it back with Dwayne Casey. I know a lot of Raptors fans probably don't want to hear that, but that's where I am. I'm also okay with a guy like Jerry Stackhouse coming in and um, replacing Dwayne, um, an in-house candidate, a guy who's um, proven that he can take a team completely, galvanize them, like Stephen A. likes to say, <laughs> uh, galvanize them and, and lead them to somewhere that they haven't been before. So uh, I think if, if Masai is looking for an in-house candidate, I think the shining bright example would be Jerry Stackhouse. Obviously a guy like Nick Nurse, uh, who's been uh, um, interviewing for head coaching jobs in the last few years, um, would also be a pretty good candidate. Um, but I think the Raptors are... It, it, it hurts to say this, but I think the Raptors are at a point where um, the franchise just has to sit by and watch. Um, as long as LeBron is this good, and I think as long as you uh, uh, kind of surround him with uh, good role players, I think... I don't I don't know if any team stands a chance in the East. And this has been the story for the last decade. So yeah. uh, I don't know if that changes next year, but... In terms of what the Raptors have to do, I'm, I'm okay with, with them going one way or the other. I'm completely okay with it. Vivek, what about you? Yeah, so for me, I think it depends on what their intentions are. Um, I, I, there was the Michael Grange tweet saying that uh, the belief is that they have a preference for having an experienced head coach mm-hmm. at the helm. And so for me... It, I would ask, what do you mean in terms of experience? Because if we're talking about Stan Van Gundy and Mike Budenholzer having experience as head coaches, then I'd rather have Dwayne Casey than those yeah. two. Um, but if we're talking about just overall experience, where Jerry Stackhouse has been in the NBA for 18 years and he will command that respect, and he's been uh, a head coach for two years, even though it is at the G League level, he's proven himself successful. Um and he's someone that you know doesn't you know play favorites or anything like that. He demands the best out of every single player, um, and I do personally feel that he is the type of guy that would demand a Rosen give more on the defensive end. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's something that's important going forward. And so I guess it d- just depends on what they see as an experienced candidate. And so, like I said, if it's those two guys that are technically available right now, uh, I, I'd rather stick with Dwayne Casey. Um, but if it is someone for uh, someone like Stackhouse, someone like Nick Nurse, um, I would be willing to give it a shot because I definitely do not want to see that same defensive strategy against the Cavs for a f- fourth straight season. Yeah, yeah that's fair. Uh, I am so torn on this; it's ridiculous. Like, I understand the impulse to want to move on from Dwayne Casey. Like, I get it. Like, it's, it's easier to move a coach out than it is to get rid of contracts that are twenty, thirty million dollars. Like, I, that makes sense. And like, I would rather keep players around than coach. I think players have more impact on the success of a team than a coach, anyway. So, like, if you're trying to stay good next season, keep the players around and sort of try to retool around them. Maybe, uh, you know, consolidate some assets, something like that. Try to make a deal, whatever. I'm okay with keeping those guys around. At the same time, like, I don't know. The the Stackhouse thing, honestly, I think Stackhouse only makes sense if they're really going to just tear it down completely and go young and just start from the bottom. 
And because I, I do worry about, like, Stackhouse, who, you know, combative personality, which isn't a bad thing per se, but to come into a team that's won 59 games or 50-plus games over three seasons, like, and for a guy like Kyle Lowry, who has notoriously not been the easiest guy to coach in the world, like, I do wonder how much the relationships between Dwayne Casey and his star players have had in sort of, you know, the, the success of this team. And I think, like, the, the offensive change this season, I think, very much was tied to Casey and, and Lowry and DeRozan sharing trust and that, that being a strong relationship and a strong bond. And I, I just, I, maybe Stackhouse can reestablish that same, same kind of thing, but I think that's a big risk. Um, and I think there's a lot of risk in moving on from Dwayne Casey because of the foundational work he's done. And yes, I agree. The tactical stuff is not the best at times and the rotations get weird and the defensive strategy wasn't suited for the Cavs and that's fair. And it wasn't suited for great offenses this season, you know, across the whole season. But at the same time, I don't really think there's a tactical change that's making the Raptors better than the Cavs. I I just don't. I think, you know, as you can change, you can go to a switching defense all you want. I think that's only making you a little bit closer. Maybe it goes six games or whatever, but I, I still think you're 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 still dealing with the same talent disadvantage that you've always had. And you know, I, I think the question has been asked f- for the last five years: Can you win a title with Demar Derozan as one of your best players? And the answer is like, hell no, you can't. You just can't. And that's just the reality of having Kyle and Demar. They're very good players and they're awesome and they're really easy dudes to root for. In particular, Demar, considering all the good work he's done this season with the mental health stuff and just being a great ambassador for the city, like they're very easy guys to root for. But you know, there there's a cap that comes with them, and I'm not sure. You know, DeRozan improves every season. I'm not sure he has that much more room to grow uh, as a player in year nine or ten, whatever he's going to be in next season. Like that's a lot to ask of him to just erase some of the flaws that make him such a, a cap on this team's ceiling. And like again, it comes down to what your your sort of your your philosophy is as a fan and what your intentions are and what you want. And if you're all about titles or bust, then yeah. If you're a titles or bust guy, the best route forward is to blow everything up and start from zero and try to acquire a, a superstar through the draft. Which, uh, spoiler alert, is very hard, especially when you already have a lot of good players on hand. And I just I don't think a coach coming in is doing the thing like we're like Steve Kerr. You know, took over for Mark Jackson and completely changed the, the just like the foundation of of how the Warriors play and sort of unlocked this potential. I think the Raptors' potential has been pretty much unlocked by Dwayne Casey, and he's done a really good job of getting the most out of Kyle and Demar. And I just don't really see a way forward where a new coach comes in and they they suddenly become these you know transcendent talents because it's not that's just not the case. And, and so. I, I'm back and forth on it because I think that what Casey's done as a foundational big picture coach, I think he's one of the best big picture coaches in the league. I don't think you can really argue that he's not the best tactician, but you know, being good at both things is very hard. There's very few guys who I think probably excel at both. Um, so it, it's it's hard to say, man. I I don't know. I haven't really decided. And but like I made my peace with it if they do it. But yeah, get Stan Van Gundy or Mike Budenholzer or one of these retreads like all the way out of my face, like. I think if they tear it all down, trade Kyle DeMar, whatever, go with Stackhouse, start young, start start from scratch there, see if he can sort of have a similar effect as Casey did with some of the, the you know, with, with Kyle and DeMar and Jonas back when they first started together. If not, I would say Nick Nurse, just because of the foundation that he's got with those guys. He was a big part of the reason the offense changed this season. He's been there a long time, sitting next to Dwayne Casey, and, you know, I, I think you maintain a lot of your your strength and your assistant coaching staff if you keep Nick Nurse as opposed to you know promoting Jerry Stackhouse uh, I think you probably lose Nurse and Kalamian if that happens so it's it's really hard there's no right answer as I think you said Sahal like I think you can argue you know reasonably well for both sides but 
Uh, we'll see how that turns out. Let's wrap this thing up here by sort of going through what do you think is the biggest question? We'll go around. We'll each come up with one question that we have to uh, pose is the biggest question the Raptors are facing this summer. Let's leave Dwayne Casey out of it because that seems like it might already be close to being decided. So, Hall, let's start for, with you. What is a, a big question that you're uh, interested in or concerned about or whatever looking at the Raptors this summer? Um, <clears throat> I have two, actually. I think the, for me the biggest question um, has to be what the Raptors do with uh, DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry mm-hmm. uh, because I think those are the two anchors of the team and um, I think once that decision gets made and what happens with those two and their contracts I think you kind of move move along with what um, plan you're going to take for the rest of the offseason whether that means uh, completely bring something brand new in brand new coach and blowing it all up or maybe trading one of the two and going from there and trying getting a replacement or maybe even trying to get a third star um, maybe getting rid of a guy like Serge Ibaka um, JV we'll, we'll see what happens with that I think that's one of my questions but I think one of the things that I think is that's very hard for people to look at now um, in terms of a positive light is um, I want to see how OG Ananobi takes the next step in his career mm-hmm. I think um, for a guy coming off ACL surgery uh, last winter um, to get drafted and to play so early and um, to turn so many heads with uh, his cool demeanor and um, his incredible uh, defensive display and um, he's shown so many flashes as a player and I think this is the one time where the the Raptors can really say they have a, a potential foundational piece on their roster I think you have really good players like Fred Van Fleet and Delon Wright who are going to become very solid players in this league uh, guys like Jakob Pertl, Pascal Siakam but I think OG Ananobi is that one guy that can take the furthest, furthest step forward um, in terms of being a potential all-star and I think um I want to see what he can do um, from now at this point where uh, the Raptors uh, just exited the playoffs all the way until the next season, what he can add to his game. Fair enough. Vivek, big question that you're contemplating this summer. For me, the big question is how Masai looks at this roster going forward in terms of who fits into what positions. And so I think a big weakness that sort of because of the way the last offseason went that the Raptors were stuck with is the fact that in reality in this NBA the Raptors only have one true power forward and four centers mm-hmm. for me Serge Ibaka is a center yeah Tunis is a center Pirtle is a center Bebe is a center mm. and I, I think the tough part so ideally I think even with game four's lineup where you saw Ibaka playing the five I think ideally you want to have Siakam as the four, but I don't think he could do that just because then you have no backup power forward on the bench. Yeah. And so I think that's a big weakness in this roster, especially when you look at the center position now. Unless you have a unicorn, that's a pretty redundant position. So to have four of those guys I think is really tough. So there, there has to be a decision that's made there. And... Ultimately, because of the size of their contracts, it's probably going to come down to Serge or JV. And considering the postseason that Serge just had, it's probably going to be tough to move him. Um, So again, that's a really, really tough question that you have to deal with. The other thing um, that you have to look at is um, how many players do you have on your roster that have a strong defensive base? Yeah. That and they can't give you offense 
are, can they still help you on the other end? So right now, I would say that there is still, Lowry can still do it. OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, DeLon Wright. Um, Jakob Pertl, I mean, obviously the, these playoffs were underwhelming, but... You, I mean, that there, dude took strides this year as a rim protector. He's a good-ass rim protector, in theory. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, again, that's a pretty limited list. You can throw so, Fred in there as well. Uh, I mean, I, I, I just question that just because of how much of a different size makes in the playoffs. And so as, as good as he can be defensively, I, I think it is a concern, mm-hmm. especially when you have both Lowry and Van Vliet. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so, yeah, I think these are, again, very difficult questions that I certainly am not smart enough to know the answers to. And I just really hope Masai does. Yeah, I think the thing I'm most... Sorry, go ahead. No, I was about to say, I thought last offseason was going to be tough for Masai. I think this one's... He probably has the biggest job ahead of him. Yeah. Um, this is... We thought last last offseason he was going to take the organization in a new direction, but this, this may just be it. And I think that's it's a very, very tough decision to come down to. And um, I've been hearing within my own group uh, circle of friends is... Maybe Masai's best decision is to just leave the Raptors and and head to another um, head to another organization where he doesn't have to necessarily make a decision like this. But I think for Masai, it's the biggest thing for him is is just making a decision and sticking with it. I think he did that last year. Um, you, you saw him in the presser where um, he put his faith behind Dwayne Casey. He did state what needed to change, and and it did change. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think for Masai, this is probably the franchise's biggest offseason coming up. And one thing I'd like to add there is we've addressed a lot of weaknesses on the roster, on the coaching side, and I think if Masai is going to be completely honest with himself, I think he needs to sort of look in the mirror and say, hey, am I doing the best job of identifying what is successful? Because you look at, at him in Denver, um, George Carl was extremely successful in the regular season and then ended up losing his job in a year. He won coach of the year mm-hmm. uh, because of the lack of playoff success. They lost, I mean, they were 57 and 25. They lost in the first round uh, as the three seed to the Golden State Warriors. Um, and they continuously underwhelmed in the playoffs. So, again, you know, at the top, he's got to ask himself, am I. Do I need to change how I view things in terms of setting up a team to truly be successful and in terms of playoff success, not necessarily regular season success? Yeah, like I don't think Masai's blameless in how this has all transpired, right? Like the like he's done a very good job. And I think a couple of years from now, if if some of these younger guys were a couple of years older for this series, like we'll think like, oh man, like this was just like a, a, an instance of weird timing and sort of divergent timelines for the, the older players and younger players on the team. But, like, you know, the Damari Carroll thing didn't work out. And, you know, the Serge Ibaka thing doesn't seem to be working out perfectly well. I still have faith that Serge can, like, be a useful somewhat player at some point. Like, I don't think he's going to be an utterly useless Joachim Noah-type albatross contract. Like, he still has, you know, something to do. He has utility. Um, but, yeah, like, he, he hasn't been totally blameless. But at the same time, he's done a really good job of drafting and identifying young talent and sort of, you know, helping keep the Raptors both with, like, an easy pivot to a rebuild while also 
you know, kind of setting themselves up for, you know, competing. And, yeah, I think for me the biggest question is going to be, I guess, whether or not they go into the tax. Like, that was a thing that I thought, you know, before the playoffs that, yeah, like, 59 wins, like, they're definitely going to the tax. They're going to pay Fred. Like, they're, they're just going to do it. I would be kind of surprised now if they did, considering, you know, how it happened in the playoffs. Like, they didn't pay it. They didn't want to pay it after last year. And I, I wonder if that, you know, it's so hard to say because everything suggested that this was a really great team that was worth potentially paying the tax for. And I maybe they they see differently now. And Norm Powell, he's going to have to figure his shit out and be useful on that new contract that starts next season. Like, that has a potential to be a very bad contract very soon. I still have faith that Norm can kind of figure it out. He's had success. It was a weird year this season. I don't know what the hell happened, but, um, like, I think there's still something to mind there from him. And but like having that contract and having Serge's contract on the books and Jonas like there's there's a lot of potential for a big deal to be moved out this summer just as a way to sort of get some reprieve from the tax especially if they want to keep Fred and I think Fred was good enough this season that I think you kind of have to keep him considering how he helped keep the load off of Lowry and Lowry's playoff results were way better than anyone you know would have expected considering his past track record but you know because he was fresh all season. I think, you know, Fred and DeLon have a big role in that, and I think you got to try to keep those guys around. DeLon's up for an extension this summer. Like, there's so many questions for Masai, and I think the tax thing yeah. is going to be very fascinating. So, yeah, we're going to get into all these bigger questions at later episodes as well. Like, I'm going to come up with a list of, like, the biggest questions they're facing, and we'll just do, uh, you know, 25 minutes on each one. Um, but until then, I want to thank you guys for coming on to, uh, you know eulogize a little bit man this sucks it's a bummer it was uh, a really great season and i don't think it should be diminished like this was an awesome really fun season that if you're in the business of being entertained by a basketball team the raptors did it a whole goddamn bunch and i think with a little more distance from this playoff run we'll look back on this season a lot more favorably we'll also do a podcast where we look back at the best moments of the year i'm sure because it's fun and we'll do our prop bets too we got to get to that um yeah but uh, I think we should wrap it there. Sahal, uh, thank you for coming on the show. Do you have anything you want to plug? Um, I didn't. I didn't honestly get a chance to um, to contribute to the Cleveland uh, Toronto series as much as I would have liked, just because it was kind of near the end of my exam period and I was just really stressed out, really busy. Yeah. But um, I will have a lot of things coming out um, probably within the next month or so. In terms, um, I think we we might be doing an end of season roundtable for. Raptors Republic um, so there's just going to be a few things coming out for me um, again I'm on Twitter at sabb28 um, sorry if, if I sound sad for the next couple of weeks it's just <laughs> vanity so yeah man that's um, all good so I apologize for that Vivek anything you want to plug I, I'll put out something in the next couple of days just looking back on the Raptors over the past five seasons maybe just Casey's whole six and a half seven year stretch um yeah just looking back on hopefully a lot of good times yeah I think it's useful to look back at the good stuff as well you know it, it sucks in the moment back. but man like those Houston games this year are never going away DeMar dropping 52 on the Bucks on New Year's Day is never going away like there was a lot of good stuff that happened this year uh DeMar dunking on Anthony Tolliver's ass um, is, is never going away so 
Um, yeah, Lot, yep. lots of good stuff that I'm sure we'll be able to talk about uh, as we get a little further away from this series. Guys, thank you so much for coming on the show. Listeners, thank you for, I mean, I'm not going anywhere. I'll have a podcast like tomorrow, but thanks to everyone for listening. And if you're a new listener who came on during the playoffs, I really appreciate it. And I'm uh, very happy to have you with us. And we're still going to keep going daily throughout the rest of the off season up until July. We'll do, you know, season recap stuff. We'll do some player review stuff, I'm sure. We'll, I got a podcast coming up on Thursday. Me and Eric Gunderson from Lockdown Blazers are going to kind of talk about uh, mostly just like sweep therapy. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that, and we'll sort of talk about the sort of similar situations both of those franchises are in, the Raptors and Blazers. A um, whole bunch of stuff coming up. The Raptors don't have a draft pick, which, thank God, because I hate doing draft stuff, but we'll do other free agency preview stuff and things like that. Um, and thank you so much. If you want to help out the show, just subscribe, rate, review on iTunes. It's the best way. It's the easiest way. And it's a very, very kind thing of you to do. And uh, it takes no time at all. So thanks in advance. And uh, Vivek, Sahal, thanks to you guys for helping out on the show all season long. You guys have been awesome. You guys will be back throughout the next few months, I'm sure, as well, and into next season. Because why wouldn't you? You made the show so much better. Um, so. <laughs> thank you, man. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, man. Good, you good guys, opportunity, Sean. Definitely you, you guys rule. Uh, as do the listeners. As do the Raptors. As much as that series sucked. Uh, we'll be back again with another episode to uh, hopefully be a little bit happier starting on Wednesday uh, here on Locked on Raptors. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grimly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.